ILTV Plus, your news from Israel and more 24-7. Start your free trial today. Welcome to ILTV's Israel Daily. I'm Aaron Porras, and coming up in today's newscast, millions of COVID antigen tests arrive in Israel just in time to keep the Green Classrooms Initiative on its feet. Meanwhile, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid continues his tour of Washington, D.C. And finally, the mission to Mars is a go. But first, would-be astronauts will practice for the perilous journey here in Israel. light is visible, but we're not out of the tunnel just yet. The latest shipment of COVID-19 antigen tests arriving in Israel as part of the rush to get kids back in class and parents back to work. I'll give you Shana Rifkin reporting. אומרים שיש מחסור או משהו, לא נכון, אין מחסור בבדיקות, בעודנו מדברים כרגע מטוס נוחת עם 2.5 מיליון בדיקות ומחר עוד 2.5 מיליון בדיקות. יש בדיקות מספקות לכל תלמידי ישראל, סך הכל 30 מיליון בדיקות ינחתו במדינה בימים הקרובים. Working hard to get parents back to work and their children back to school, Israel moving forwards with its Green Classrooms initiative. And among the relevant decisions, quarantines in, quote, green cities being eliminated in favor of simply testing students who've been exposed to the virus. Under the Green Classroom plan, students exposed to infected persons will be allowed back at school as soon as they get a negative PCR test result. Then, after returning to class, said students will undergo rapid antigen tests every day for a week, followed by one more PCR test. If all are negative, the classroom gets the all-clear. So accordingly, the latest shipment of COVID-19 antigen tests finally arriving in Israel. And all this in light of promises to keep the economy open for as long as possible. Especially as serious infections down some 35% since the beginning of October. Currently, the daily infection rate sitting at about 1.7%, at least 412 reportedly in severe condition, and the death toll rising to 7,959. Despite the promising numbers, though, Israeli authorities and health experts again urging the public not to become complacent, and more importantly, to go and get vaccinated. Over 75% of those in severe condition with COVID are unvaxxed, and the booster shot campaign is losing momentum fast. The health ministry is showing that just under 43,800 Israelis got their third jab this week, compared to over 160,000 during the same period last week. Likewise, just 10,200 people got their first dose this week, as opposed to 30,600 last week. Sheba Medical Center's Professor Galia Rahab saying that, quote, there's not enough emphasis put on the personal behavior of Israelis, adding that personally, she's traumatized by watching people die one after the other, and that she hopes we won't soon find ourselves in a fifth wave of the pandemic. Now, Israeli Foreign Minister Yair Lapid is in Washington, D.C. this week for a series of high-level meetings opposite American lawmakers and diplomats. And both Lapid as well as his American hosts are largely emphasizing the relationship between Israel and the United States, as well as issues of Israel's security 
and the initiative to build on the growing peace in the Middle East following the historic Abraham Accords. There are special relations between our countries, and, and you are one of the biggest supporters of the concept that says being pro-Israel is being bipartisan. When we all need to, to and can, to unite around the idea that we want to expand and deepen the circle of peace, and we all need and can unite around this basic principle that Israel has the right to defend itself, and the Palestinians deserve a better life. And we all can unite around the idea that we will never let Iran become a nuclear threshold country. Of course, Lapid's meetings, including many other important notes as well, so joining me to discuss, expert on United States Middle East policy with Barilan University, Professor Eitan Gilboa. Professor, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Now, Lapid met with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, as we saw, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Vice President Harris, and several more political as well as uh, Jewish community leaders. Which discussion did you see as maybe the most important or, or the most surprising? Obviously, uh, the number one issue is Iran. And the timing is uh, the renewal of negotiations between Iran and the United States in Vienna. Uh, the foreign minister of Iran and some uh, other key participants, uh, such as Angela Merkel, who was in Israel just at the beginning of this week, uh, saying that uh, these negotiations are going to start or uh, to resume soon, and therefore, uh, the purpose of, uh, the main purpose of Lapid's visit, this visit, is uh, uh, to explain the Israeli position and to learn about the American position. His meeting with Nancy Pelosi uh, just the other day and his meeting today with APAC are designed to secure for Israel sufficient support in Congress uh, in uh, the Israeli position. Uh, today, uh, he, like Yair Lapid, will uh, meet with uh, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, as well as uh, the Foreign Minister of the United Arab Emirates. So it is not just Israel. Uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, represents uh, other countries in the Gulf, on Iran, bilateral relations, and also on the Palestinian issue. So this is a critical visit at a very critical juncture of uh, relations and negotiations between the sides. All right, now if we put Iran to the side for a moment, Secretary of State Blinken is said to be, uh, to, is set to warn Lapid against Chinese investment in the Israeli economy as well. Uh, Israeli officials reportedly saying that Jerusalem is willing to back away from the Chinese government, but at the same time rejects the idea of blocking all Chinese investment, especially when some of these same Chinese firms are operating on U.S. soil. How far do you expect Israel to take these suggestions? Well, Israel is taking very seriously uh, these American reservations about China. We know that this is not new. Uh, both uh, the Trump administration and now the Biden administration have defined China as the number one threat uh, to uh, peace and security uh, in Asia, uh, first of all, but also in the world. And um, uh, the United States is completely dissatisfied with the Chinese Belt and Road economic projects around the world, which includes uh, ports, uh, railroads, uh, airports, 
the Chinese are building uh, the metro in Tel Aviv, but also uh, uh, private independent ports, uh, especially in, in Haifa. And uh, so uh, the warning uh, or the request is to limit as much as possible Chinese investments in the Israeli economy because in American eyes, these investments are not just uh, economic or are driven by economic and trade relations. They are also meant to increase Chinese uh, power uh, in the region. All right, now next I want to talk about the Palestinians for a moment. In, his, in the comments we just heard, uh, Foreign Minister Lapid mentions how the Palestinians deserve a better life, but he didn't really go into, into any details. We're increasingly seeing reports that Ramallah is stepping away from Washington, though, in that they don't see Washington as capable of pressuring Israel into making various concessions. Is the Biden administration not the friend that the Palestinian Authority is looking for, or does the White House maybe just lack the necessary, le necessary leverage to affect change? Or maybe there's a third option in which uh, the Biden administration is itself stepping back, uh, stepping back away from the failed Palestinian Authority. Well, first of all, uh, Lapid emphasized what the United States is also talking about, and that is economic peace or economic contributions uh, to the Palestinians, both in the West Bank and Gaza. So this is in line with American interests uh, right now. Uh, secondly, the Biden administration understands that under Bennett, uh, the new Israeli government uh, is simply incapable of uh, resuming uh, any serious negotiations with the Palestinians about a permanent, uh, a permanent um, solution. Uh, and uh, if, if uh, the Biden administration were to press Israel too much, then the alternative would be uh, the, uh, the, uh, 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 the, the emerging of, uh, of Netanyahu as a potential uh, new prime minister, the return of Netanyahu, this is something that uh, the, Biden the Biden administration uh, is not interested in. And therefore, they are paying lip service to the Palestinian issue. They have to mention it. But uh, we should not expect any serious major American effort to press uh, Israel and the Palestinians to go ahead with any meaningful negotiations in the foreseeable future. All right, Professor Etan Gilboa, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Now, while Foreign Minister Lapid was meeting opposite United States officials in Washington, Israeli and international heads of state, diplomats, experts, and CEOs addressed English-speaking audiences at the annual Jerusalem Post conference, entitled The Future Is Now, Part One. And during the three-hour-long summit, speakers discussed regional issues and international cooperations on a wide expanse of topics, but perhaps making the biggest waves Israeli Justice Minister Gideon Saar, Saar harshly responding to President Biden's push to reopen the U.S. consulate for Palestinians in Jerusalem. The consulate was closed in 2018 under the orders of President Trump. There's a lot of talk right now within the Biden administration of opening a consulate in East Jerusalem or in Jerusalem for the Palestinians and for the Palestinian Authority. That would require approval, as far as I understand, not only from the foreign ministry, but also from your ministry, the Justice Ministry. Is that something that you're prepared to do, to, to sign off and send no in a way. government that allows? No way. So no what way. does that mean? No way. But if Biden's administration no insists on it, what I've do you heard, do? I've heard. I want to make it very clear. We oppose it. We don't oppose it now, and we will have a different opinion after the budget. 
We are 100% opposed that. Now, Saar then adding that Israel's sovereignty should be respected and that Prime Minister Bennett is in agreement on the issue. The whole exchange lending credence to concerns, however, that the United States is either unwilling or unable to effect change vis-a-vis -a, -vis a two-state solution. Ramallah, therefore, reportedly also looking to other world powers to take over as mediator in Washington's stead. In other news, the Gaza-based Hamas terror group now making new and unlikely enemies to the north. A new report by the Alma Research Center finding that Hamas is increasing its activities in southern Lebanon with the aim of threatening Israel on two fronts. But Hamas's actions are apparently angering the Lebanese terror group Hezbollah as a pseudo-turf war begins to bubble. Middle East expert and lecturer with Barilan University, Dr. Mordechai Kedar, with the analysis. Dr. Kedar, thanks so much for being with us. Now, both groups are Iran-funded proxies. Both groups want the destruction of Israel, ostensibly. And Hamas has been operating in Lebanon for decades already. So what exactly is the problem? What changed? Well, the question is, to whom uh, Lebanon belongs? Uh, as, as we know, Hezbollah claims that Lebanon belongs to Hezbollah. After all, Hezbollah is a Lebanese organization, and uh, they pose themselves as the owners of Lebanon, especially now when Lebanon is totally dysfunctional as a state. However, don't forget that in Lebanon there are some 10 refugee camps of uh, Palestinians since 1948, and these camps are actually extraterritorial for the uh, Lebanese government, Mundo 1969, already uh, 50 years. Mm. And, um, and uh, 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 the, the, it means that the Lebanese government has no say about what is happening in these refugee camps. Therefore, many Palestinian terror organizations like Hamas and the Fronts and many others succeeded to have roots in these uh, refugee camps, and they do in these refugee camps whatever they like, including Hamas. So now the question is, will Hamas be able to operate on Lebanon, on Lebanon's soil, which uh, technically belongs to, to Hezbollah? And here is the source of the problem. So how, how, do you see the, how do you see this conflict between Hamas and Hezbollah resolving, if at all? And, and, you know, does Hezbollah feel the same way about these other terror groups, like, as you mentioned, you know, the PFLP and the Islamic Jihad, etc.? Look, as long as Hamas restri restricts its activities to the refugee camps, nobody really cares. The problem is, what will, what will be if Hamas tries to recruit the Sunni minority of uh, Lebanon, which is not Palestinian? If they do this, they are on a, in, a, in a direct clash with Hezbollah. Uh, so I, I do think that the Hamas will actually know what the limits are. And if Hamas doesn't know what the limits are, Hezbollah will teach Hamas what the limits of Hamas are. All right, now, the Alma report adds that when Hamas attacks Israel from Lebanon, Hezbollah actually gets dragged in, even if it is against Hezbollah's immediate interests, as we've seen somewhat recently. How else might this conflict actually involve Israel or endanger Israel, and how do you think Israel will respond? Well, what happened in August is that uh, Hamas tried to ignite the situation between Israel and Lebanon in order to drag uh, Hezbollah into this problem. But uh, Hezbollah apparently have more brains than Hamas, 
And they understood that they do not want to get in any trouble with Israel at this point, because getting into trouble with Israel means that they have to use their stockpile of missiles against Israel. And this is something which the Iranians, who supplied them with this uh, stockpile of missiles, would never allow Hezbollah to do again after they did it already in 2006, because Iran wants to keep this uh, arsenal of missiles ready for the real con uh, confrontation with Israel, which might be if Israel attacks the nuclear facilities of Iran. And, and do you see Israel responding in, in some way to any of these attacks? Or, or is Israel also maybe just as smart as Hezbollah in this respect? No, I think that Israel knows uh, what Hamas wants to do, and, and Israel will not be dragged into confrontation with Hezbollah, uh, because don't forget that August, when it happened, uh, it was the peak of the tourism uh, uh, season in the north, and uh, many thousands of Israelis were in the north, in, in, in zimmers, in, in, in hotels, and in, in, you know, in the, wherever they were. And uh, Israel did want, uh, at that time, to ignite the border between Israel and Lebanon. All right. Dr. Kedar, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you so much. Moving on, it's the biggest water deal ever between Israel and neighboring nation Jordan. Jerusalem formally agreeing to double the amount of fresh water that Israel sells to Jordan to 50 million cubic liters every year. According to one estimate, Jordan's water supply is enough to sustain just 2 million people, one-fifth of its total population. So as one of the planet's most water-deficient countries, Jordan has long been cooperating with Israel on the issue. In fact, these agreements even predate the Israel-Jordan Peace Treaty of 1994. Energy and Water Resource Minister Karin El-Harar saying that the deals are proof that Israel wants good neighborly relations. And Israeli Director of Regional Environmental Group EcoPeace Middle East is likewise saying that this reflects the growing understanding that the climate crisis is affecting the region must lead to increased cooperation. As for where the water is coming from, much of the Israeli-provided water is sourced from the Jordan River, with the additional 25 million cubic liters set to be drawn from the Kinneret, also known as the Freshwater Sea of Galilee. Now, despite the age-old adage, the sky isn't exactly the limit, and for Israel, neither is the moon. The next station for now is actually Mars, and for the 13th time, analog astronauts have now begun conducting a Mars simulation in a planetary dome named Amadi 20. Unlike previous experiments, though, this is the first to be carried out in the Jewish state. And located in southern Israel's Negev Desert, the six-astronaut team will live in the dome for a period of three weeks, the team including pilots, scientists, engineers, and one Israeli member, Alon Tenzev. We're six people working in tight space under a lot of pressure to do a lot of tasks. There are bound to be challenges, but I trust my crew that we're able to overcome those challenges we learned how to work together, we trained together, and we're very confident. We have the motto of fail fast, fail cheap, and have a steep learning curve, because for every mistake we make here on Earth, we hopefully don't repeat it on Mars, because we've done it before. And now joining me with an exclusive inside look at the Amadi 20, aerospace correspondent at SeaTech by Kalkalist, Yafit Obadia. Yafit, thanks so much for being with us. Now, it's tell great me, to be here. <laughs> thank you. Tell me a little bit more about what this mission involves. Well, this mission takes place every year, and it's a collaboration between the Austrian Space Forum and the Israel Space Agency. It was canceled last year due to COVID-19 complications, but it involves a six-person crew that goes into this Mars simulation facility for about three weeks, 
and they kind of try to simulate what goes on on the Martian surface. So what is it, exactly does that entail? You know, what will they be doing inside the dome, mm -hmm. uh, and how much communication will they have with the outside world? So they're going to be in total isolation. They will be in communication with a remote team based in Austria, and this is sort of to simulate the 10-minute delay in communication between an actual human team on Mars and one on Earth. Um, and they're going to be conducting a variety of experiments, psychology, biology, trying on some very cool uh, anti-radiation astronaut vests. Cool. Yep. Like the one we saw in the, in the screen a minute ago? Yep. All right, so you know, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the team now. How mm -hmm. long did they train? How were they chosen? And, and mm -hmm. when, you know, when they emerged from the dome, like, you know, what will they have, have learned, I guess? Okay, well, they entered the dome on Monday around 6 a.m., and they're scheduled to exit the dome October 31st. Okay. And they're going to be simulating what actually happens in the Martian environment. Is this, I'm, I'm picturing the movie The Martian right now. Is that basically what, what we're about to expect? You know, like, like uh, you know, Matt Damon on, on Mars uh, trying to survive the elements, or, or what's going on? Well, this is the first time this DMARS research facility is based in the Negev, and Israeli researchers are constantly staffing this location, conducting research, but this is going to be the first time that an actual international team will be inside the dome, and it's pretty difficult to remain in isolation for that long, so we'll see right. what awaits. Um, as you mentioned before, the team, so they're from a variety of different European countries, including Spain, Portugal, Austria, the Netherlands, Germany, and uh, Israeli alone tensor. They train for about six to seven months for this mission, and they're analog astronauts, so this is in preparation for an actual human mission. Wow, all right, so on a related note now, last week, Israel celebrated World Space Week, which if I understand correctly is different from Israel Space Week. What are some of the highlights of, of that event? Well, this year's event focused on women in the space industry, which I found particularly interesting. And I spoke with women from a variety of different countries, Brunei, uh, Costa Rica, Singapore, Australia. And they all kind of shared their personal story, how difficult it was for them to get into the sector. This space tech sector only is comprised of about one-fifth women. Wow. So they spoke about their careers and their paths. Um, they were all very impressive. One actually headed Israel's Bereshit mission to the moon. Another is the head of NASA's Earth Science Division. Um, a third works for Amazon Web Services in Australia, and she kind of helped start that. And another one is from the small Asian Muslim country of Brunei, and she's the first in her country to spearhead a satellite mission. That's and pretty groundbreaking. I'm not sure you mentioned how many women are, are in this analog, you know, Amadi 20 mission. Oh, um, yes. So it's only one. There's six people and one uh, female analog astronaut. So, so it's a, roughly the ratio you just said about one fifth. Yeah. I, you know, are, is, is that purely on qualification or is there some sort of, you know, minimum, uh, 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 you know, limit for how many women they're trying to, to get into the, into the space dome? Um, women don't technically head toward these careers, and there are conditions that make it more difficult to, for them to join, but we can see how that's rapidly changing as several women are joining the sector. Efito Vadia, thank you so much for thank joining you. us with, uh, with this awesome look inside thank this you. dome. I cannot wait to see it take off. Same. Thank you. All right, now let's take a look at the weather forecast with Hannah Rifkin. Clouds still in the sky tonight with breezy lows ranging between 16 to 24 degrees Celsius. Then tomorrow, more of the same, with highs expecting to range between 26 to 34 degrees Celsius. Now back to the studio with Aaron.
And now before we go, let's take a look at what's going viral here in Israel. Ooh. That's cool. This looks like the... This looks, oh, this is in Rishon Litzion, just south of Tel Aviv. So I believe the thunderstorm we had last night, first rain of the season. Very cool. All right, that is it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.23 shekels to the American dollar and 2.6 shekels to the Canadian dollar. And finally, for the latest updates and news from ILTV.TV, please like ILTV on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as to our newsletter at ILTV.TV. And of course, don't forget to sign up for ILTV Plus, our brand new platform. I'm Aaron Porras. Thank you so much for watching. Be well, and I'll see you soon.